Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study posted each Wednesday night at 6.30, which is the regular time for our Wednesday night Bible classes at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Now, we know that there are people, even in the Omaha area, who cannot be with us at that particular time and that particular evening maybe for a variety of reasons. In some cases, people who are just handicapped, ill, not able to get out. But there are also people who are having scheduling conflicts, either for work situations or otherwise. But there are also people across the country and literally around the world who want to be in God's Word. They want to study God's Word. They want to be under the sound of the teachings of the Scriptures. But they obviously, living in other parts of the country or other parts of the world, cannot be with us in person. So we're thankful to have the opportunity, the ability, and the means to be able to broadcast God's Word, teach His Word, and we try to do so in depth and in detail, and at the same time explain it in a way that is easy to understand. And that makes sense for our daily lives as faithful followers of Christ. We want to help people come to salvation through Jesus Christ as well. And what is the source for that? God's Word. So we're thankful that you're there, and we're thankful that we have the opportunity to be here with you through these podcasts, broadcast over the Internet, all over the world where the Internet is is accessible, and thereby teach you and teach others and encourage others to come under the sound of God's Word and submit to its teachings. Faithfulness, obedience to God. Well, we want to encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means. But you know people who need to be students of God's Word. They need to grow in their faith. Maybe in some cases they need to develop faith because they really don't have faith in God yet or in Christ. Well, help them by sharing these studies. Again, through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means, with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. What a great blessing for them if, by your getting them into God's Word through these studies, you could help them turn their life around and even get to heaven. But you know that would be a great blessing for you as well. Now, also, we encourage you to tell everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We just want to help people learn God's word and get to heaven. When they sign up for a podcasting, they will automatically receive our Wednesday night Bible class, our Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and they will also receive a daily radio program Monday through Friday called Search the Scriptures. And and I really consider this to be a a gem, if you would, seven days every week, so that's every single day of the week, a short Bible study that gets us into God's Word, only about 13 or 14 minutes long, but it keeps us in God's Word, and so keeps us under the sound of the Scriptures and keeps us growing in our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So share with as many people as you can. 
tell them about it. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we hope you'll come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 930, followed by worship at 1030, and then a Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, we come back together for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, as we've said, 6.30 each week, each Wednesday evening, we come back together for midweek Bible classes. We hope you can be with us if you're in the Omaha area. We're going to get back into our study of 1 John, and we're in chapter 4, coming toward the end of the chapter. Now, I want to go back and pick up with verse 7 and read this context pretty much through. We've already looked at verses 7 through 11, but I want to, for the sake of continuity, to just read these all together, and then we'll begin to focus more beginning with verse 12. So John wrote, beginning with verse 7, 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Notice this key statement next, for God is love. God is love. What a statement. In this, the love of God was manifested or demonstrated toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or substitute for our sins as he died on that cross. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, that is, live in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Here's that statement again. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Well, what a great text of Scripture. Now, again, John the Apostle, and we've emphasized this, he continually, through these five chapters, and we're coming toward the end of chapter four, but in these five chapters of the first John letter, we keep reading about how John emphasizes God's love for us, our love for him, and that being obedient to God is connected to loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that relationship is key there to the understanding of this particular instruction, and it goes all the way back to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus gave the apostles a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. And then he goes on and says, by this the world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And so Jesus was speaking to faithful followers there, and he tells them, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. Now, in that particular context, in that setting, in John chapter 13, the next day Jesus would be on the cross. 
he talked about how greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And then he went on and said, and I lay down my life for you. Well, it was going to be literally from a physical perspective, because the next day again, he would be crucified on that cross. And on that night, he tells the apostles, he tells his faithful followers, kind of an inner circle there of his faithful followers, you love one another. You love one another, not just in word, not just in some warm, fuzzy feeling, but you love one another in action as I have loved you. Again, he was going to die for them the next day. He was going to die for all of humanity, of course, for all time. But he's telling those faithful followers, those, those apostles, you love one another as I have loved you, and the world should see me in you through the love that you exhibit on a continuing basis toward one another as my faithful followers. Well, John is writing here in 1 John to Christians, and so he keeps telling he keeps telling the readers here, Christians, now of course the principle applies to even those who have not yet become Christians, in that they should learn about this kind of love and want to be a part of it. They should want to become Christians themselves. Remember what Jesus said back there in verse, verse 35 of John chapter, 14, uh, chapter 13, by this the world will know that you are my disciples, my followers, by the love you have for one another. And so as non-Christians, and I'm not talking about atheists necessarily here, I'm talking about those who have not yet become true New Testament Christians. Now, certainly that would include atheists, but people who have not yet become a part of the Lord's church, not yet been baptized into Kim for the remission of their sins, Acts 2 and verse 38 and chapter 22 and verse 16, these folks ought to see a, different, a difference in us as true Christians from what they see in the world around them, because this world is caught up in sin. This world is under the sway of the wicked one, that is the devil himself. The scriptures tell us that. Well, so here John, he keeps emphasizing and connecting, being obedient to God, to his teachings, connecting that to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that is a commandment again that Jesus gave going all the way back to John 13, verses 34 and 35. It's, it's significant now when you read that particular statement, for God is love, verse 8. God is love. What a great statement that is. And then he goes into detail, or he goes into detail through this text, talking about how we need to love one another, for love is of God. So if we're going to be faithful followers of God, love is going to have to be central in that faithfulness and that lifestyle and that influence that we should be wielding upon the world around us, that they should be able to see in us. And again, who, he who does not love, well, don't talk about being a faithful follower of God because God is love. And God demonstrated his love in the most graphic way by sending his son to the cross to literally die physically to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. And, and it's not that we deserved it. 
And it's not because God said, you know, those folks down there on earth, those, those humans that I created with a soul in my image, oh, they just love me so much, I, 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 think, I think they deserve my love for them. <laughs> that's not how it goes. That's not, that's not how it went. God loved us first. God loved us first. And so we might say from a practical perspective, we don't deserve God's love, but he loves us anyway. He demonstrated that most vividly, again, by sending his son to the cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. And that's there, there's that word propitiation, our substitute. Christ died in our place on that cross. He paid the price for our guilt of sin, not his own. He did not sin. And so if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's given us the example. And when you think about, and we've, we've in studies repeatedly, we've talked about Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, where it talks about while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, enemies in what way to God? Because of our sin. But Christ dying on that cross gave us the opportunity to be reconciled to God, that is, brought back into a right relationship with him. Being created in his image, going back to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, in that he created us with a soul. So we have a spiritual being within our physical body that it's, it's somewhat difficult for us to wrap our minds around fully, and yet that is the sense, I believe we're to understand, in which God created us in his own image. We are spiritual beings, not just physical beings. And so we understand the very concept of love. Why? Because God is love. Now, when you take God out of the picture, how do you explain love? How do you define love? What is the evidence of love? You see, it's all over the place. People say, well, I know what love is. I don't have to, I don't have to believe in God to, 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 be, to, to experience love or to be loving. Really? Explain it to me then. And, and what about that person across the street from you who may hate your guts but still says they, they love God or they live in love or they love somebody else? You see, it, it's without God, God is the source of love, true love. We understand love as human beings because of God. Now, we can say the same thing about goodness. You take God out of the picture, what happens to goodness? See, everybody defines it according to their own feelings or their own understandings or belief system, just as they would define love. And so you say, well, well everybody knows what love is. Let me tell you. Not everybody knows what true love is. But you see, if you take God out of the picture, then you have no basic standard for true love. You don't have any basic standard for true goodness. And so it's up to every individual on their own as to what they consider love to be or goodness to be. 
And you can't say, well, that person's just wrong. No, if you take God out of the picture, again, you've taken the standard for love and for goodness out of the picture. And so whatever that person over there across the street from you or on the other side of town or in a different country, whatever they they believe in their mind to be love is just as good as what you believe because there is no bottom line foundational standard if you remove God from the picture. Well, let's pick up with verse 12 now. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. If you have not read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a while, I encourage you to go and read that. It's a rather long chapter, over 50 verses, but it is a tremendous treatise on the resurrection. Paul looks at the resurrection of Christ from a very logical, pragmatic perspective, and he applies it to the fact that we, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, can look forward to our own resurrection and eternal life with him in heaven if we have been faithful to him again on a consistent, ongoing basis. Now, in that particular chapter, Paul talks about, he goes into some detail, describing God as being spirit. How do you how do you view a spirit, a spirit being? Well, we have, we have movie makers and television you know, producers. They try to give us some kind of an idea, an image of what a spirit being might look like. And a lot of times they end up being looking like ghosts or you know, some kind of willowy mist you know, floating around in front of mortal beings. But they don't really know. What is a spirit being? What does a spirit being look like? God is spirit. And that soul within us, what does it look like? It's spirit. It's spiritual. Well, so no one has seen God at any time. He doesn't have a physical body. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Now, Moses asked to see God, and God said, uh, nope, you know, but you can see my, my hind parts. Can't see God's face and live, but uh, he did enable Moses to see, to see his back. Now, interesting. Well, why? I, I, I don't know. We'll have to ask God when we get to heaven in eternity. But he certainly had a reason for that. And perhaps the reason is that we need to respect God and we need to not attach to him some kind of physical image in our mind, but we need to recognize that he is unique from all of humanity in that he's not, he's not human, he's not physical. And so we need to understand that. We need to recognize that, and we need to simply respect that. John also wrote in the gospel account, according to John, in John chapter 1 and verse 8, 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. No one has seen God at any time. Well, but we've those who were alive at the time when Jesus was here on this earth and he walked among them, they have seen God. They, 
in, in the person of Jesus Christ. But now, um, we don't see God physically in some kind of physical form, but Jesus came in physical form, and in that way, we saw those who were alive at that time saw God in the person of God the Son, Jesus. Well, interesting, isn't it? Interesting. And, and yet we see the evidence of God all around us through the creation, through goodness, through love that people exhibit toward one another, through Christianity, people who live the Christian life in a faithful way. We see the evidence of God all over the place. But in a physical form, uh, no, no, not in a physical form. Because again, God is spirit. God is spirit. And so what, G- what John said, no one has seen God physically. Well, again, you know, no one has seen God be- physically because God is not physical. He doesn't have a physical being. Well, let's come back to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, and continue a little bit further. 1 John chapter 5, and again, verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. So what Jesus said back in John 13, verses 34 and 35 John is basically repeating in principle here in verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4. You see, people can see God in us, can see Christ in us by the Christian love that we exhibit toward one another. And even through the Christian love that we exhibit toward non-Christians in that we care about their souls and we want to help them come to forgive come to forgiveness and, and salvation through Jesus Christ. In verse 13, John goes on and says, by this we know that we abide in him, that is, that we live in Christ or live in God, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now, when you think about Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, many of the Jews on Pentecost, they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? They had heard, you might think about it, as not just being a straightforward gospel sermon. It was a scathing gospel sermon. Peter accused them and convicted them and convinced many that they had crucified the Son of God. And so many of those Jewish men on that day said, what shall we do? What shall we do? How shall we respond? And so Peter said unto them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Father, in, in, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, because He has given us His Spirit. Now, how does the Spirit of God speak to us? It's through the Word. Through the Word. Peter, remember when we were studying in, in Peter's letters, he said that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or guided by the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit guides us through God's Word, the Scriptures, the Bible. 
He goes on in verse 14 and he says, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Oh yes. Matthew chapter one, when the angel was telling Joseph, the legal father of Jesus, though he was not the biological father, when Mary betrothed to Joseph, but not yet officially married to him, was expectant with the baby Jesus, and Joseph thinking that she had been unfaithful to him, was about to put her away, and the angel sent from God said, "Uh, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, is of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And you shall call his name Jesus, the angel told Joseph. And that name literally means Savior. And over and over again, Jesus is identified in the scriptures as the Savior of mankind. So we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Now, it's not just saying the name Jesus or making a statement, I believe in Jesus, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, because that is part of the act of obedience that God wants us to put forth in a visible way. We need to not just believe in Jesus, but yes, we need to confess that belief openly. Jesus said so in Matthew, in 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 Matthew chapter. uh, uh, Let me get back there again now. Matthew chapter ten, verses thirty-two and thirty-three. He he said that. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So God expects us to confess our faith openly in Christ. But now, our confessing our faith is not just a verbal thing, but it's also a submission to be obedient. Remember when those Jewish men asked Peter and the rest of the apostles on Pentecost, what shall we do? The first word out of Peter's mouth in response was, repent. You've got to change your life. You've got to make up your mind to change your life. You rejected your Savior. You've got to come to him. You did not believe in him. You've got to believe in him. You were not obedient to his teachings. You've got to be obedient to his teachings. And then he said, in that ultimate act of obedience to bring us into Christ, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It's at that point that the blood that he shed on the cross for us will cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. And so confessing is not just a verbal thing, it's an act of obedience as well. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Again, God is love, verse 16. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Oh, how we as human beings need to clear away the cobwebs in our thinking in regard to real love, what real love is. There are a whole lot of couples who call themselves in love 
because they're having sexual relationships together. Now, the sexual relationship God designed to be fulfilled in marriage, and that is an act of love. But there are a whole lot of people who, they don't get married, they just have sex. But they say they love one another, and that's love. Oh, we love each other. Well, if you really love each other, get married. Oh, we don't have to be married to really be in love with one another. What's holding you back? You see, the marriage contract is a commitment of love and devotion, dedication. But you're not, you're not making that, that, that dedication and commitment. You're holding back and saying, we don't have to do it. Well, if you love one another, go all the way. Get married. But you see, we have all of these wishy-washy kind of surface-level thoughts about love, but love is deep. Love is commitment and dedication even when things seem to be going bad. And not necessarily in, in the relation, the marriage relationship between a couple, but but they're struggling mightily because of one factor or another, or maybe a host of factors together. But they still love one another. God loves us even when we're unlovable. But he does not excuse our sinfulness, our disobedience, our unfaithfulness. And say, well, that's okay, because I still love you. No, he expects us to repent. He expects us to come to him through Jesus Christ. To be baptized so the blood of Christ that God sent his son to shed on that cross for you and for me. He expects us to come to him and be baptized into Christ so that that blood, that sacrifice can have full effect for our souls. If we really love God, if we really love Jesus, then Jesus says, you will obey my commandments. John 14 and verse 15 and 21 and 23. We'll pick up with verse 17 next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the greatest of all examples of love. And help us to learn from it, Father. And help us to make the proper applications to our lives. Help us to help other people see you and Jesus in us through our love for you and for our brothers and sisters in Christ and even for those who are not yet saved in Christ. Help us in this, Father. And help us to be consistent in that shining example of love, that godly example of love. Please forgive us. Please for our prayer, gracious Father. Christ's name, amen.